And now, Ravage Love. She'll let you take her home. It whets her appetite. She'll lay you on a throne. She's got Betty Davis eyes. It's episode 29, season four, Iraqtober. Again, it's the best magical, best time. It's the year of pumpkins. Hi. Hello. Julie. Hello, Renee. Hi. Renee. Renee loves the spooky season, so Iraqtober is your time to shine, and I just follow along behind you because I love you with my whole heart, <laughs> but I'm a wimp. And so typically, longtime listeners of the show will know every week we choose two books on the same theme, but for October, it's dealer's choice. We just mm-hmm. pick a spooky Halloween book that's romance slash erotica, sometimes both. Uh, and we never tell each other what our books are, but you did give me a heads up that the book you read this week was very disturbing. And so mm-hmm. it's very funny to me because as per usual, my book was not. <laughs> so we're really giving people another intense juxtaposition here um, because uh, it sounds like you might have found the most depraved book we've read on the podcast. Is that correct? Oh, I absolutely have. And there's a whole story to go along with how I have this book. But because Leslie Jordan died this week, Ooh. I'm going to do all of it in a Leslie Jordan voice. Wonderful. I mean, RIP yeah. to that short king. What yeah. a loss. I don't know about you, but I'm usually pretty unaffected by celebrity death. Like, I'm not indifferent, but I'm like, oh, that's sad. But there's a few that, like, really got to me. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. And Anthony Bourdain. And I think Leslie Jordan is on that list. Like, I was so gutted when I found out that he died. You know what? I think ever since Robin Williams, like, I can't feel for celebrities anymore. Because I'm just like, it was was so tragic. Yeah. And like, I, oh, like, I can't. So now it's like when a celebrity dies, I'm like, yeah, they're old. Like, yeah, they're, they're, they're driving too fast. Like, I just... It's not, it's not a personal loss for me, but Robin Williams, and honestly also Philip Seymour Hoffman for some reason, I don't know why. Maybe because I, I thought of him as like my husband. Oh, also Heath Ledger. Like those things were just oh, tragic. Oh yeah. Heath you know? Ledger was a hard one. I think yeah. well, Philip Seymour Hoffman was my favorite actor of all time. And yeah. so was James Gandolfini who also died, but James Gandolfini died of like health issue. I think Philip Seymour Hoffman, it was just, what made it so tragic is one, I think he's one of the greatest actors of all time. I think he was fucking incredible. But like, mm. I think it was just that most people didn't expect Philip Seymour Hoffman to die of a heroin overdose. <laughs> like, I think it was that it was like the nature of how he died that also was really jarring. And it sort of shook people to be like, wow, like, like Robin Williams, where you're like, wow, tears of a clown, you know, like Bourdain, yeah. like all those things. Yeah. Heath Ledger, like, because it was accidental, like there was a, that whole element, like, whew. but yeah, it it sounds, it appears from as of our recording time, the official story with Leslie Jordan is that he had some sort of medical emergency and that's why, and he was driving and that's why he drove his car into a building and died, but that he either had a heart attack or a stroke or something happened and that's why he drove into a building and died. But like, he was only 67. Yeah. He was driving. He's like, oh, now my heart. And then he drove into a building. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Like, 
Yikes. Yeah. And to be like, he was literally at the height of his career. Like it had taken him so long to get the recognition that frankly he deserved. And then, yeah, he just made these delightful videos during lockdown of like, I can't do his accent, but like his like fellow hunker downers. And like, that's how I knew him. Like, I didn't really know who Leslie Jordan was until the pandemic. And then I was like, who is this delightful gem? I literally only knew him as the sassy dude from Will and Grace. Like, that was it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, he just he made a lot of cameos and things as like this spunky little tiny gay man, but also like. There are characters in, like, cartoons and things that either he voiced or they were developed around him as a character. Love that. So, like, there's a show that my kids watch. Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. But it's, like, about these two little kids and they go visit their grandpa, their grunkle, Grunkle Stan, who lives in this thing called the Mystery Shack. And there's this little, um, like, almost like a little tiny TV preacher and he's got the Leslie Jordan affect, and I love him. Love it. It's so funny, and I just live for it. I, I love a bit, and I love when people commit to a bit, and Leslie Jordan commit to the bit. Oh, my God. It was yeah. so – and just, like, everyone who worked with him said he was as delightful as you would think he was. Like, he was just, like, a little ray of sunshine. I also love, like, a couple interviews that he's done over the past year or so where he, like, shows a picture of himself from the 70s. Have you seen this? No. And he was jacked and like very hairy, but also had like a handlebar mustache. Whoa, I'm gonna have to Google this. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like every stereotype from 70s porn, and he was like, it, he's like, in my mind, I thought the the mustache would make me seem more masculine and less gay. <laughs> and he was like, I wasn't out in Hollywood because you couldn't be. And so he's like, Girl. I oh, it is hilarious. And so, like, watching him, like, now, and by now I mean, like, a couple months ago, and I think the one, he was on, like, The Talk or one of those shows, and he's wearing, like, a pastel blue suit with, like, a paisley shirt, like, a very cute, stereotypical gay man outfit, and then he's like, look at me when I tried to pass as straight, and it's just him with, like, a giant <laughs> handlebar mustache. Whew. I was like, I what a journey this man has been on. And he literally in the past year, like, bought his first house. Like, he bought a condo Aww. for the first time in his life. He was able to own property. And, like, ugh. Anyways, R.I.P. Leslie Jordan, you short king. You are a delight. I love that you're going to speak in his accent today. What a delightful homage. I am not, but uh, I will I might, let you. I might not, honestly, because this book is <laughs> so depraved. <laughs> it's really bad. It's really bad. You know what? You know, I, I just I want to go back for a quick second because I realized what, why, Jim. Sorry, no. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman when he yeah. died, and we were also shocked by it because it doesn't seem like he would be the type, right, yeah. to use like heroin stuff because it would be like if Jim Gaffigan died of using heroin. Yeah right yes yeah like if jim gaffigan it's like oh rest in peace jim gaffigan you father of 20 and you know <laughs> he died from a hair like I, that would be shocking to me then that's how i feel about philip seymour hoffman totally that's such a, an apt comparison because that's how it felt like it just felt so it just was so shocking and like yeah i i I'm I still like when it comes up or I see him in a movie I still get like a pain of like like right now a friend of mine our mutual friend actually Kat shout out to Kat big fan of the show uh she could not believe that I had only ever seen the first Hunger Games movie so we're watching them all 
I didn't know he was in them. And I had this like pain when I saw him come up on screen. I was like, oh, and she's like, yeah, well, brace yourself because he dies after the first felt like it's a two part finale and he dies after the first part and and then i'm like oh no and then yeah the movie ends already fucking bleak because those movies are like jesus christ they're so bleak and then it's like in loving memory i'm like no (laughs) i love him he just was like so versatile so committed to everything that he did and yet everyone who worked with him said he was delightful so it's like not even like he got away with so many actors who were like they go full method and Everyone hates working with them, but like the end result is great. Like everyone was just like, he was delightful. He had like a child's like disposition. Like he was like laughed, loved to laugh and have a good time. And then, yeah, just like, boom, apparently got back into heroin, which for folks who don't know from a harm reduction standpoint, if you haven't done drugs in a long time, it lowers your tolerance and you go to use it and you can very easily overdose, which is what happened to him. I mean, he should have just stuck to huffing gas like his character in that movie where he huffed gas. You're not wrong. You're Mm -hmm. not wrong. Yeah. It is what it is. Rest in peace. Rest Rest in in peace. Rest in power. (laughs) Philip Seymour Hoffman and Leslie Jordan and Rob Williams and Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and every other person that we lost in a shocking, shocking event over the past few years. But I'm speaking of shocking. I'm dying to know what your book is about. So I'm going to just launch into mine real quick. It 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 was fine, but I don't know if you've had this experience throughout the, throughout our podcast journey together where sometimes you'll read a book and like you put it down and you instantly forget it. Like it's just forgettable or you're like, "Have I read this before?" And then you realize, "Nope, I've just read this trope somewhere else." So that's kind of where this book lands for me. It was forgettable. Oh, okay. Um but not unpleasant, like it sounds like here was. So mine is called Her Fated Vampire by Gina Kincaid. I think I've read a Gina Kincaid before. Um, she's a USA Today bestseller. She writes paranormal romance. Um, and this particular one was written in 2020. Very okay. short. It's like 60 pages. And um, it is about a woman named Carly Henderson, who is very ambitious uh but you know kind of boring like you know stays in on school nights kind of a thing um you know works really hard but it's very all work no play and her friends always trying to get her to come out and have fun and she's like no 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 but the one time a year that she's like yeah okay let's go and get like white girl wasted is halloween that's the one time of the year where she's like i promise i will come to anything any parties anything that we're doing but her, part of the deal is her friends are like, we pick out your costume for you. So her friends pick out this very slutty vampire outfit and tell her, we're going to this huge Halloween party in a mansion that is owned by um, the boss of one of her friends. And his son also works at the law firm. They're lawyers. They work at the law firm. The dad is out of town. The son is this like smoking hot single bachelor He's throwing this party. Let's just go and have a grand old time. And they go and she, you know, it's kind of like mingling and it's like, okay, this is pretty fun. But then she notices like she can't find her friends and then sees that they've all sort of like found a dark corner with a hot person. And so she's like, all right, everyone's hooking up and I'm just kind of here alone in my slutty vampire costume. That's cool. That's cool. And she goes to grab another drink from the bar and runs into the hottie that is hosting the party. But then a drunk couple that is 
really all up in each other's faces, bumps into her and her glass of wine spills all the way down her big old biddies because she's wearing a corset. And so he's like, hey, let me help you go and get cleaned up. And she's like, "Mm, that sounds a little forward. And he's like, no, for real, like, this is my house. I'll come and get you cleaned up. Takes her to the basement. I mean, girl, red flags. Just so many red flags. Takes her to his lair in the basement to clean her up. Unsurprisingly, it's a sex dungeon. And he says, like, oh, I'll run you a bath. And then da-da-da-da. And then she sees that there's, like, a beautiful four-poster bed. And he's like, oh, no, I don't invite anyone into my bed. Um, You know, this is just playtime. My bed is sacred and da-da-da-da-da. So they, like, he bathes her in this giant foot bath, like, claw foot bath. And then ties her up to the wall and does all this kinky shit but she keeps noticing these sort of like bizarre things like they're doing candle like wax play and his skin isn't reacting to the heat and he like his skin feels kind of off and she's not upset by it she's into it still but she's kind of like noticing these things and then finally he's just like i never feel this way about anyone but i feel this way about you i want to share you in my bed let's go into my bed and she's like oh my god what an honor so they go into the bed they bang and then it's the epilogue that just casually nonchalantly is like oh yeah i realized that he was a vampire but like it's cool nbd the end (laughs) (laughs) what it was so it was just so unnecessary. Like she could have just made him also dressed up as a vampire for Halloween. It didn't have to be that he was actually a vampire. And if you're going to make it that he's actually a vampire, then fucking commit to it and like put some vampire elements to it. Not just like, Oh, his skin is not reacting to the wax. That's weird. It didn't like, it was, it was so weird. It was just like, I don't know if it was, I want to say it was lazy, but it just felt like, you know, that trope, which is literally my least favorite trope in films or TV or books where wild shit happens. And they're like, it was just a dream. You know that? (laughs) Fuck that's lazy. Well, that's what this felt like. It was like, I can't figure out a way to include the vampire elements in it. So I'm just going to throw it together in the epilogue. So like, Oh my God, you were so mad when we watched twilight. (laughs) Oh my God. So mad. I mean, admittedly, we also watched all five movies in one day. So it was like a 10 hour (laughs) marathon where I just was like, why is this baby CGI'd? Why are they sparkling in the sun? Why is he still going to high school when he's so old? It's so weird. I don't get it. But I can deal with like, I've accepted that people find vampires hot. I've accepted that people that they're always like breathing heavy and shit on each other. But then commit to the bit, like actually make it like it just didn't make sense that this guy's a lawyer and also a vampire. Like I was like, give me more details or give me no details. That's kind of where I landed. (laughs) So in terms of spiciness, like it was okay. Like it was graphic. So, I mean, I would give it like a four out of five on the spice uh, scale for that because, I mean, it was it was graphic. It wasn't like euphemisms all over the place. Um, And in terms of the accoutrement that I would associate with this particular book. It would have to be a candle because wax play was kind of the real pinnacle part of this whole thing. Um, okay. So yeah, just forgettable. Just forgettable is how I would describe it. Not terrible, not terribly written. Um, I don't doubt that she is a USA Today bestselling author by the writing style. 
Um, but uh, yeah, her faded vampire meh, is what I'm going to give it. <laughs> meh. <laughs> meh. But now I'm dying. The anticipation is killing me, Renee. What did oh. you read this week? What happened? Let's hear it. All right. Okay. Okay. So while your book was forgettable, mine was completely unforgettable and I will never forget that I read this, <laughs> nor will anybody that I described the book to. Whoa. Okay. Those are, those are bold <laughs> words. Never have I ever, 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 ever read anything like this whatsoever. And it's a physical book I own. Whoa. In fact, it's a physical book I found randomly at an indigo in the romance section. This was not romantic. It was terrifying and horrible. Literally the worst thing I have ever read ever. And I'm not saying that it was poorly written. It was not. It was excellently written. But it was so jarring. In fact, you were free to stop me during my reading. Whoa. And this you got from fucking Indigo? I got it for 15 bucks from Indigo. It was just in the romance section. And I bought it because there's a big picture of an eyeball on the cover and i was like that's kind of creepy that's weird okay and so i bought it not knowing anything about it my book is called the story of the eye have you ever heard of it no so i as in like e-y-e yes the eyeball the story of the eyeball and on the cover it's like an eyeball in water and the water is like rippling around it and it was written by georges bataille does that name ring any bells for you no no okay it's, it's no, but I am looking it up, and apparently it was written in 1928? Correct, Julian. It was not translated to English until 1978. Now, Georges Bataille was a philosopher and a sociologist. And he actually wrote this book originally under a pseudonym, which was Lord Osh. And Osh was, was a combination of Oshio. So literally, Lord of the Shit House <laughs> was the name that he published this book under. Okay, um, I'm just, I'm going to get into it because. Okay, well, first I have to ask, how long is yeah. this book? Not long. It's a novella. Um, the entire book with the foreword and then like the added stuff on the end is like a hundred pages. It's not long. Okay. It felt like it took me forever to read it because I kept putting it down. In fact, like my kids are watching like Bluey and I'm sitting there trying to read this book and I had microwaved myself some fucking corn dogs and I was like, like I could eat the corn dogs because of this book. And my little one's like, can I have those? I was like, go nuts, go nuts. And I gave my dinner away because of this book, Julie. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm actually going to go through the plot summary as it's written on Wikipedia because I'm going to get distracted by all of the chaos in this book. It's fucking wild. Like I have never read anything scarier. I have never read anything more upsetting. I have never read anything more disgusting or depraved than this book in my life. And I feel like if you have the stomach for it, everybody should read it because it's fucking crazy. It's a crazy fucking book. And it was written like, while my grandparents were like babies, like it, I can't believe this book exists. I can't believe it got published in 1920. Okay, okay, you hit us, Whew, hit us. Yeah. What are we okay. in for? Okay, so um, here we go. So the book starts. Our author has no name because 
if you read further on, it talks a bit about, um, like the author talks a bit about the um, similarities between his life and the story that he wrote. So I guess upon reflection, he saw the coincidences between his story that he wrote and his life. One of those uh, being that his father died of like pretty intense, like syphilis that it was neurosyphilis. So he was like wheelchair bound. He was blind. He was all these things. And so he, the author, he like sees the coincidences and similarities between his experience with his father and this book. So if you take it with that lens that this book is semi almost autobiographical kind of um it makes it worse it makes it worse so our author has no name he's 15 years old starts off he's 15 years old oh boy so our author meets simone and simone um they're i don't know if they're at like the, their fucking vacation house or what they're, they're french they're all french disgusting french people <laughs> And we can say and that because we're French. <laughs> 100%. So I think they're like distant relatives and they're spending some time together. And they're just kind of like horny as fuck. Like they're just fucking horny teenagers. And one day Simone is like fucking horned up for a bowl of milk that they put out for the cat. She's like, she's like, milk is for the pussy. And he's like, I guess. And she's like, do you dare me to sit in it? And he's like, okay. So she goes on like, she's not wearing any undies. So she like plants her little, her little butt into the milk. She's like, oh, that's how milk came in it. And he's like, holy shit. And they just start jerking it. Like they just start masturbating these two and they never stop. Like that's like, they masturbate forever before they ever fuck. So they meet each other like every day where they just masturbate or jerk each other off or like what? But Simone can really only get off if she pisses herself. So she's like masturbating and peeing everywhere. And he's just like, this is great. And like, they just, they don't even need to touch each other. Like they don't even fucking touch each other. They just masturbate all the time. And if she pisses, she's like, yeah, fucking coming everywhere. Okay. So this is, these are the kids. These are the fucking kids in this book. Okay. One day, Simone and our narrator, our author, are having sex on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> and their friend Marcel walks up and she just collapses. She's like sobbing in the grass because they're doing this weird fucking sex acrobatics and she cannot process it. She's like, <laughs> and she just starts fucking crying. And then they rape her. And she's just like totally innocent and like freaks out by it. Uh, but they still stay friends. And then they have a party where they invite a bunch of other teenagers. And Simone is like, they all get drunk on champagne because they're in fucking France. And they're like, oh, I'd better have my champagne for this piss covered fucking tablecloth. I'm going to anyway, it's a whole thing, Julie. It's a whole thing. They all are drinking champagne and Simone is like, do you dare me to piss all over the tablecloth? And our narrator's like, hell yeah. So she's pissing everywhere. And all these other teenagers are just like, holy shit. Marcel is there. And Marcel 
is freaking out, but she's also super turned on. And so there's like this big cabinet in the orgy room and she goes into it and she like masturbates, but she also pisses everywhere. And then our narrator goes over to the cupboard to let her out. And when she comes out, she starts screaming and he's like, oh, right. Yeah, we were all fucking and some glass broke, but we kept fucking. So I'm actually covered in blood right now. And so she's freaking out. She's screaming. Everybody's pissing everywhere and like fucking each other. And then she's Marcel's screaming and her mom comes up. She's like, Marcel, qu'est-ce qui arrive? And then Marcel bites her mother's face off. Just bites it off. What? Yeah. And our author's like, okay, out I go. And he leaves and then he moves in with Simone. He just one night, he's like, family, don't come find me. I have a gun. And then he just leaves. Like he just leaves his house, his entire family. He goes and he moves into Simone's house and like, because of what happened, Simone's mother's like, I'm not even going to go there. Like, y'all do what you want to do. And Simone and our author are living together. And um, they hear that Marcel has been put in a psychiatric institution. And at this point, Simone is like fucking horny for Marcel and only for Marcel. And she can only... She can only come if she's, like, pissing on Marcel. So she's like, I gotta get this woman back, or this teenager, I guess, because I love her and I want to fuck her. So they come up with a plan where they're going to ride their bikes to the insane asylum and rescue her from this building. Um, And they go to do that, but then they can't quite get her out because they get chased away. And then as they're trying to get home, they get caught in the rain. And so Simone gets like really, she gets really sick and she's sick for like, I don't know, months or something. Now, during her illness, the only thing that she can eat is soft boiled eggs. And it's during this time, during her convalescence, her recovery, that she develops a fetish for eggs. And I'm just going to, I'm going to read you a little excerpt because I I dog-eared my book for this because it needs to be said. Here we go. This was the period when Simone developed a mania for breaking eggs with her ass. She would do a, a headstand on an armchair in the parlor, her back against the chair's back. Her legs bent towards me while I jerked off in order to come in her face. I would put an egg right in the uh, right on the hole of her ass and she would skillfully amuse herself by shaking it in the deep crack of her buttocks. The moment my jism shot out and trickled down her eyes, her buttocks would squeeze together and she would come while I smeared my face abundantly in her ass. So now we've got we've gotten to eggs. OK, so she loves cracking eggs with her butthole. Now she's sick. She's obsessed with soft boiled eggs, like obsessed. And so she won't fuck this guy anymore because she only wants to fuck Marcel. And so what he does, because they're still like cousins, I guess, and also best friends, um, is that when her mother brings her soft boiled eggs, he puts them in the bidet for her. He'll peel them. He'll put them in the bidet so she could piss on them and then he will eat them. So this is kind of this is where it's going. This is where it's going. So finally, she gets better. And they're like, we're going to fucking break her out. So they go over there and they break her out and everybody's happy. Now she like Marcel is fucking nuts. Like she's crazy at this point. And she's talking about like this evil priest or this evil bishop or something. And like, you know, an evil closet and all these things. 
and they don't know what the fuck she's talking about. They kind of think that it's related to this like closet um, that like she was in that she got locked in and like pissed all over the place while she was masturbating. But they're like, let's just let's just leave it be. She's really happy. We just wanted to be happy. We love her. So I, I don't know how they end up back there, but they end up back in the room with the closet and it all clicks for Marcel. And she's like, holy shit. The evil bishop is you. You were covered in blood. That's the closet. Oh, my God. And she's flipping out. So they leave her alone to have her little freak out. When they come back, she is hung herself. herself. She did. She did. But Simone is like, oh, fuck yeah. And so she like climbs over this woman's face and she pisses all over her, her face and her eyeballs. And she's like super horny about it. But they like, we got to leave. So they run away to Spain. And in Spain... They meet this guy called Sir Edmund and Sir Edmund is like this English aristocrat. And I don't know why he gets himself involved with these horny psycho teenagers from France, but he does. And so Sir Edmund is like taking them around Spain and Simone, Simone and like the, like the narrator are just like fucking all the time. Like every time they stop, they start fucking in corners and shit. And because Simone has to fucking come, like piss everywhere to come, she's like pissing herself all the time in the hot Spanish sun in the summer. And so her white dress is like sticking to her because it's covered in piss. And the guy's like, she's so fucking sexy. And I'm like, like what? What is happening? Um, it's fucking crazy. It is fucking And crazy. again... 1928 is when this book was written. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also going to just mention, uh, because I'm I'm looking at this this summary here on Wikipedia. So it says here that, um, oh my God, that like when Marcel hangs herself in the closet, because Simone like gets on top of her corpse, right? And she, like, pisses on her and stuff. But it also says here that, like, when she gets on top of Marcel's corpse, that it's the first time the couple has penetrative sex. And it's true. Like, she and, like, her cousin, brother, lover guy, like, they do fuck for the first time next to, like, the corpse of this girl. And it's crazy. Cat. So they're in Spain, Julie. (laughs) They're in Spain. They're fucking everywhere. And Simone, who's, like, fucking horny for eggs fucking horny for eggs they go to a bullfight they go to these bullfights and there's this famous matador's name's like el granero and she finds out that when a matador kills a bull they eat the bull's testicles all right and she wants the testicles she's like i fucking want those now what we find out is that they eat the testicles peeled so the inside of the testicle, they look like eggs, right? So she gets them because the guy that they're visiting, the El Granero, who's like friends with Sir Edmund, is like, yeah, I'll get her some fucking bull testicles. No problem, though. I got you covered. So she's in the audience. It's a fucking hot, hot, hot Spanish day in the sun. She's covered in piss and she's like living her best life. And she's presented the bull testicles and she's like, holy shit. And you're supposed to eat them raw. And so she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, because they look like fucking eggs. And she, they're like, don't do it. Like the author and Sarah Mendes, like, don't fucking do it. And she's like, I got to do it. 
And they're like, don't do it. We're in public. She's like, but I have to do it. And they're like, don't do it. She's like, I won't do it. I won't do it. But sure enough, she takes the bull testicles. She lifts up her dress and she pops them inside of her. But when she's doing this, the bullfighter, the matador, he sees her. Like the whole fucking audience sees her. And then because he's distracted, he gets impaled by a bull. And his eyeball gets fucking popped out of his head. He gets he gets killed because the bull pops him in the eye and kills him. So all she sees in this moment is that fucking eyeball. And she's like, yum, yum, yum. I want that. That is what I want. So the next day, they're sightseeing around Spain. And Simone is like still like walking around pissing herself. And then they go to this place called the Church of Don Juan. And the priest there, his name's like Don Aminado or something. And they decide they're going to seduce him. And they seduce him like to this crazy degree where they're like coming in like the fucking chalice and they're making him drink it. And then like she's she's like masturbating inside the confessional, like the most sacrilegious things you can imagine in this. Like they're doing it. So like there's a part where like Sir Edmund does this like parody of the Eucharist and they're like coming all over the bread and shit and they're pissing and all this stuff all over the fucking Eucharist. Like I'm a Satanist, Julian. I know that's bad. Like I know <laughs> that you don't do that. And they're doing that. And this priest is like, you have to think that I'm a hypocrite. And they're like, no baby, let's just fucking do this. And then as they are like feeding the Eucharist and like all this stuff, that's covered and come to the priest. They strangle him and um, he dies during orgasm. So it's like an autoerotic asphyxiation situation. So they're strangling a priest in his church while they're fucking him. And he dies like while he's like coming everywhere. And then Simone looks over to Sir Edmund and is like, I want his eyeball. And Sir Edmund's like, are you, are you sure? She's like, yep. So he just has some fucking scissors on him and he goes in, he cuts out the eyeball and he gives it to her. And she's just like, yes, eyeball, hooray. And she's like, they're all rubbing this eyeball all over them. And then she pops it in her vagina. And the book ends where the author is like looking into Simone's vagina. And there's another eye in there. And it's Marcel's eyeball. She had Marcel's eyeball inside her vagina the whole entire time. And that's how the book ends. That's how it ends. So this book had eggs. It had milk. It had eyeballs. It had bull testicles. It had everything that I don't want to read in a book about sex. Um, One thing I learned about our author is that he developed an idea called the solar anus. And that was just like one of his sociological beliefs. It was like an economic ideology that he developed because he's a legitimate philosopher and sociologist. Like he like basically built upon the idea of transgression. Like this guy's a fucking white sociologist from the 1920s who could do whatever he wants. And he has other books. And his other books are very similar to this. They're like incestuous, the necrophilia, like all these things. This guy was depraved. This book was also very depraved. So um, 
I'm not rating this because there was nothing sexy about it. And I'm not going to the only the only accoutrement I would include in this would be um like hospitalization, <laughs> parental intervention, uh, maybe a lobotomy or electroshock therapy. And I say that as a mentally ill person. And I understand what that means in the 1920s, but I stand by. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> okay. This is a real book I read. I don't. Real, I don't doubt it. I literally looked it up when you described the cover. I looked it up and I was like, "Holy fuck!" I just cannot. Like, I can't believe that this was published at all in 1920 in 1928, and that it was just like at fucking Indigo. Mm-hmm. Like, I paid $14.95 for this book. Now. Originally, because I, I read everything I could about this, because I was like, how does this book exist? Yes. And like, how? Like, how? How is it not like just a fucking, you know, self-published book on Amazon right now? And um, I guess just it at first when it was published, the idea was that it was just pure pornography. And you and I have like discussed this. We're like, like in the 1800s and like maybe a little bit into the early 1900s, people were obsessed with like piss and farts and shit. Like that was what made them horny. Right. We know that. But this to involve like eyeballs and necrophilia and like all of these things is so like we won't even read that today. Like we don't even read that today. Yeah. And so now, of course, like academics have their like dirty myths all over everything. And so there are lots of like academic articles about this book, some of them being about how it's so anti-feminist, some of them about, you know, eggs and the sun and like, no, 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 all the themes in it. And I've read a bunch of them, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go on about it because this is a show about sex <laughs> and the people who write about it and so i'm not going to go into the academic literature that i read about this book because i just could not believe that this book exists um i told my son about it and he was so disgusted that of course he immediately went and found a live or sorry a free version online so for those of you who are interested there are plenty of pdf versions online um and you can help yourself to it uh it, it, it's a journey it's a journey i don't want to take again i i'm not squeamish I'm not no squeamish you're not person. squeamish like you have read some dark dark shit in our history on the show so if you're like yo this is depraved it's fucking yeah. depraved. i cannot i can't do eyeballs eyeballs is like Ooh, yeah my limit like I, my kids like to flip up their eyelids and then poke their eyeball because they're the fucking worst right dizzle bro so they're just the fucking worst. And they do that all the time because I just can't do eyeballs. I cannot. I can't do it. So why about a book called The Eye? I don't know. Um, and But I don't think certain... it was outside the realm of possibility to imagine that it had nothing to do with putting someone's eyeball in their vagina. Like, I don't I think absolutely, that's wild yeah. of you to make that. Are you going to read anything? I sure am. I sure am. And you are free to stop me at any point if it becomes too much. Because I'm reading noted. the end. Oh, I'm reading boy. the end where there's eyeballs in people's vaginas. They're killing priests. They're fucking corpses. Like, this is the worst of the worst. And so, listeners, feel free to fast forward. <laughs> Go, feel free. 
Um, Julie, feel free to stop me. I will. And, and please know we will be ending with me reading a very chaste two pages mm-hmm. from my book. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? I'm as ready as I will ever be. Okay. So they're, they're either, they've either killed the priest or they are killing the priest right now. Okay. <clears throat> and now, said Sir Edmund to Simone, mount this little padre. Simone removed her dress and squatted on the belly of this singular martyr, her cunt next to his flabby cock. Now, continued Sir Edmund, squeeze his throat, the pipe just behind the Adam's apple, a strong, gradual pressure. Simone squeezed. A dreadful shudder ran through that mute, fully immobilized body, and the cock stood on end. I took it into my hands and had no trouble fitting it into Simone's vulva while she continued to squeeze the throat. The utterly intoxicated girl kept wrenching the big cock in and out of her buttocks, atop a body whose muscles were cracking in our formidable strangleholds. At last, she squeezed squeezed so resolutely that an even more violent thrill shot through her victim, and she felt the cum shooting inside her cunt. Now she let go, collapsing backwards in a tempest of joy. Simone lay on the floor, her belly up, her thighs still smeared by the dead man's sperm, which had trickled from her vulva. I stretched out at her side to rape and fuck her in turn. But all I could do was squeeze her in my arms and kiss her mouth because of a strange inward paralysis ultimately caused by my love for the girl and the death of the unspeakable creature. I have never been so content. I didn't even stop Simone from pushing me aside and going to view her work. She straddled the naked cadaver again, scrutinizing his purplish face with the keenest interest. She even sponged the sweat off the forehead and obstinately waved away a fly buzzing in a sunbeam and endlessly flitting back to a light on the face. All at once, Simone uttered a soft cry. Something bizarre and quite baffling had happened. This time, the insect had perched on the corpse's eye and was agitating its long nightmarish legs on the single orb. The girl took her head in her hands and shook it, trembling. Then she seemed to plunge into an abyss of reflections. Curiously, we weren't the least bit worried about what might happen. I suppose if anyone had come along, Sir Edmund and I wouldn't have given him much time to be scandalized. But no matter, Simone gradually emerged from her stupor and sought protection with Sir Edmund, who stood motionless, his back to the wall. We could hear the fly flitting over the corpse. Sir Edmund, she said, rubbing her cheek gently on his shoulder, I want you to do something. I shall do anything you like, he replied. She made me come over to the corpse. She knelt down and completely opened the eye that the fly had perched on. Do you see the eye, she asked me. Well, it's an egg, she concluded in all simplicity. Okay, I urged her, extremely disturbed. What are you getting at? I want to play with this eye. What do you mean? Listen, Sir Edmund, she finally let out. You must give me the eye at once. Tear it out at once. I want it. Sir Edmund was always poker-faced, except when he turned purple. Nor did he bat an eyelash now, but the blood did shoot to his face. He removed a pair of fine scissors from his wallet, knelt down, and nimbly inserted the fingers of his left hand into the socket and drew out the eye, while his right hand snipped the obstinate ligaments. Next, he presented the small whitish eyeball in a hand reddened with blood. Simone gazed at the absurdity and finally took it in her hand, completely distraught. Yet she had no qualms and instantly amused herself by fondling the depth of her thighs and inserting this apparently fluid object. The caress of the eye over the skin is so utterly, so extraordinarily gentle, and the sensation is so bizarre that it had something of a rooster's horrible crown. Simone, meanwhile, amused herself by slipping the eye into the profound crevice of her ass, and after lying down on her back and raising her legs and ass, she tried to keep the eye there simply by squeezing her buttocks together, but all at once it zoomed out like 
the pit of a squoosh, uh, a pit squooshed from a cherry and dropped on the thin belly of the corpse an inch or so from the cock. In the meantime, I let Sir Edmund undress me so that I could pounce stark naked on the crunching body of the girl, my entire cock vanishing at one lunge into the hairy crevice, and I fucked her while Sir Edmund played with the eye, rolling it in between the contortions of our bodies on the skin of our bellies and breasts. For an instant, the eye was trapped between our navels. Put it in my ass, Sir Edmund, Simone shouted, and Sir Edmund delicately glided the eye between her buttocks. But finally, Simone left me, grabbed the beautiful eyeball from the hands of the tall Englishman, and with a staid and regular pressure from her hand, she slid it into the slobbery flesh in the midst of the fur. And then she promptly drew me over, clutching my neck between her arms and smashing her lips on mine so forcefully that I climaxed without touching her, and my cum shot all over her fur. Now I stood up, while Simone lay on her side. I drew her thighs apart and found myself facing something I imagined I had been waiting for in the same way that a guillotine waits for a neck to slice. I even felt as my eyes were bulging from my head erectile with horror. In Simone's hairy vagina, I saw the wan blue eye of Marcel gazing at me through tears of urine. Streaks of cum in the streaming hair helped give the dreamy vision of disastrous sadness. I held the thighs open while Simone was convulsed by the urinary spasm and the burning urine steamed out from under the eye down to the thighs below. And that is how this fucking book ends. And I read it. And I read it for all of you. Is that not the most obscene thing you have ever heard? And like, not only is it fucking woo, but he like... Why did you have to choose to write it from the perspective of teenagers, you fucking creep? Yeah, and I honestly, I, I imagine that at this point in the book, they must be older, but they never, they never, they never uh, say anything about that. Ugh. So. Jesus. It, it, apparently, there's a, a couple movies about it. Um, I don't really want to watch a movie where people pissing all over the place, but uh, it was the time. It was the time. And, and nothing there were there were no there were no ghosts in this there were no uh, horny pumpkins there were no mothmen there were nothing nothing spooky but this was the scariest book i've ever read <laughs> in my entire say, life it is true horror in the sense true of the horror. Word, true horror yeah there's nothing there's nothing that could be worse than this book that i read and at worst as far as content goes because it was beautifully written like i will give that to georges bataille he was a great writer strong writer um but this was horrifying horrifying so please julie Lalonde, Pet, love of my cleanse life cleanse the palate if you will please do okay. please do <laughs> mm -hmm. Whoo! okay so a reminder my book is about a woman who goes to a halloween party and has a kinky time in the basement with the man who lives in the mansion who is a lawyer um and has weird skin and weird things that she's like ha 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 qu'est-ce que c'est so okay. the book technically ends with them spent in bed, the bed that he typically does not share with people. And she, they're spent. He moves to the side of her, pulling her into his arms and cradling her to his body. You've just given me one of the best nights of my life. He said, stroking the chocolate locks of her hair and pressing a gentle kiss to her forehead. Tomorrow we will find a way. Her bones feeling like jelly, she fell asleep with a smile on her lips, happier than she ever thought possible. Then you turn the page, and it's the epilogue. <laughs> One year later, Carly tied the cape around her shoulders and then smoothed her hands over the blood-red corset and down the front of the black leather pants. 
In the mirror, she watched as Nick slid into his matching black leather pants and damn near drooled at the image he presented. All tight ass, six-pack abs framed by a red silk shirt and silky dark hair topping the most gorgeous face she'd ever laid eyes on. Yeah, she was undeniably in love. <sighs> Sigh. Tugging her head to the side, she ran a fingertip over the lightly raised skin there. Today was the one-year anniversary of the day they met. The day everything in her world changed for the better. The Halloween party at an old and crumbling castle that had given her so much more than she could have ever dreamed of having in this lifetime. Who in their right mind would have ever guessed that Nick and his family were real vampires? This is literally the only mention. The first mention of them being vampires. <laughs> All the commercialized nonsense of their inability to walk in sunlight, cold skin, no heartbeat. Well, she'd learned the truth. Okay, the sunlight bit was partly true. They wore a charm, typically a bracelet or ring, to protect them from the blistering rays and allow them outside whenever. Though Nick had worried she'd reject him in her fear of the unknown, Carly's lifelong fascination with the supernatural, in particular vampires, had apparently prepared her for the man, no, vampire, that she was destined to spend the rest of her life with. Nick was no Damon Salvatore, but he was her own personal Dominic Milani, and she decided that fact <laughs> over fiction was better than any day. Who knew a simple party would bring her face to face with her faded vampire, the name of the book. <laughs> the Take <end>. a shot. <laughs> the end. Yeah. I'm just realizing if there were if there were people that fast forwarded to hear me do the Leslie Jordan voice, I can't do his beautiful high pitch. Beautiful Tennessee cadence. accent or wherever he's from. From the South. Yeah. Oh man, R.I.P. R.I.P. Also, R.I.P. to any innocence you had left in your body after reading that terrible fucking book. Thank you to our listeners Literally for joining none. us on this journey week after week after week, but especially this October. This is, we are ending October on a hell of a note, <laughs> but don't worry, we have more content coming your way as we always do. Um, and what's around the corner? What's around the corner, Renee? November. Yeah, and then what's around the corner from that? Uh, Jesus's birthday. <laughs> or October is Renee's time to shine. I fucking love holiday books. I am a Halloween fiend, um, but I am very much into Christmas. And so I, I am... I like the hocus pocus, practical magic, trick or treating elements of Halloween. You like the spooky stuff. I love everything about Christmas and New Year's. New Year's Eve is my favorite day of the year. Um, so we're just going like really just this is my time to shine is what I'm saying. November, a little fluid, but then December comes along and whew, I shine. I shine bright like a diamond, yeah. Renee. I know you do, baby. I know you do, baby girl. You know, and I don't hate Christmas. I would say almost like I go harder at Christmas because it's so important to me that my kids continue to believe in magic. And if were it not for mothers, Christmas would not happen. Exactly. So I feel like I do go harder at Christmas than I do at Halloween. But that's not to say that um, my love is misplaced because I, for me, it's Halloween 365. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right? So. You're goth mom all the time, but certainly yeah. when we're looking at the books that we read, your preference is very much for a Halloween book versus a holiday book. Here's the reason: is that I would rather 
fuck a Mothman than a Santa Claus. <laughs> like if I had but to again, pick. That's because you go to fucking Santa Claus. I read books about people at bakeries in small towns who find love over a shared apple pie recipe. That's you where you and you I can't differ. fall in love at Christmas time. It's a sham. The feelings are not real because you're feeling the magic of Christmas. No. And that's not a year-round feeling, but the feeling of the Halloween spirit is year-round. So no, you're confusing Christmas spirit with hol like vacation energy. You cannot fall in love in vacation. Mm-mm. That is just nothing but a bucket of lies. You can would absolutely you, fall in love at Christmas. No, would you say that the people in Hallmark movies that their love is eternal? I would like to believe it. Let me have my fantasy. Let me. Okay. Believe. All right. So you're just you're just deciding. To be delusional. <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> okay. All right, that's fine. I, I can am work with in that. a bucket of lies and I want to stay here and just marinate in my belief. I don't watch those Hallmark movies. This is the thing. I can read cheesy things. I cannot yeah. watch cheesy things. I get vicarious embarrassment. Like I'm, I blush watching bad shit. And I have friends who are, you know, went to grad school, highly intelligent career women who like November 1st hits and they're just crushing three holiday movies a night on the W network and they can't get enough. Yeah. It's like mainline it into their fucking veins. And I'm like, I can't, I can't handle cheese, but a book. Ooh, give me a cheesy Christmas book and I'm fucking set. So I can't around, do folks. cheesy Christmas books because like when I read a book, I want to be scared like I want is there a mystery are we solving a murder is there a haunted house like that's what I want when I read a book because it's just for me no I don't have to share with anybody but I will watch Christmas and Hallmark movies till the cows come home because as you know Julie I'm a big fan of a scheduled cry oh yeah and I feel like the older I get the harder it is for me to schedule a cry but at Christmas every Hallmark movie gets me it cuts me to my core any Christmas movie like I'm talking family man I'm talking jingle all the way. I'm talking like it, fucking anything. Any any Christmas movie will make me sob. Mm-hmm. And Hallmark movies are no exception. I mean, they're the worst of the worst, and they're cheesy as hell. But I live for it, and that's so funny to me because I watch so many horror movies, <laughs> and then it's just like, okay, well December's here. I'm gonna watch Winnie Cooper from TV. Just have a million loves of her life or like fucking dj from full house uh, full house oh yeah or lacey chabert who i know from mean girls but is like just killing it on the hallmark christmas movie circuit 100 percent. last year i found a hallmark movie that carrie fisher is in and i i haven't watched it i didn't watch it last year because i was like not in the right headspace because you know i love carrie Mm. speaking of celebrity death i mean we didn't even have to bring it up because it was just it was understood that nothing gutted you more than carrie fisher's death we know that yes no literally my ex-in-laws called me to see if i was okay so like it was it was a time but that movie exists and maybe we'll watch it together this year that would be lovely yeah i would love that yeah um but you know what i'm I'm not sorry I read this book, but I will never forget this book. Um, I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm, I'm looking forward to moving into like bland gray November, but you know, I just got to get away from this, this book 
for a little bit. Get a little distance um, going in. Yeah, get a little distance. I'm still... I'm going to find a way to bring monsters into November. But for now, this book, which only contains the monsters of real life, um, can go away forever. Thank you very much. If anybody's interested in having this book, I want you to just message us on Instagram and I will mail it to you. I will just mail this book to I you. I feel so like I it's bad juju to have it in your house. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It and literally, there's just a giant eyeball on the cover. But if anyone's interested, send me a message and I will personally mail it to you. Um, and I will remove the curse from my home. <laughs> Honestly, this book, just having it in my position, is the reason my mom died. I know. I know that. <laughs> It to my core, it killed my mother. Um, so if you want to take on this haunted, haunted piece of literature, just let me know and I will send it to you free of charge, free of charge, listeners. But Julie, yes, let's let's just I will continue to bring the horror into our show, but let's just wipe our hands for October. Oh for God, now. yeah, what a fucking a October note to end on. <clears throat> I will sing us into the new month. Are you ready? I was born ready. Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the show is created by Karen McKnight. Very special thanks to Josh Shenfield for production assistance. You can find Josh on Instagram at Fushigiyami. That's F-U-S-H-I-G-I-Y-A-M-I on Instagram. Connect with us at RavageLove on Instagram and Twitter or by email at RavageLove.podcast at gmail.com.